and welcome to the Stockout. This is the Stockout. It is your show at FreightWaves about consumer packaged goods, uh, CPG companies, supply chains, and CPG uh, companies' supply chains. I am your host, Mike Bowdendistel of FreightWaves. I'm an analyst and market expert here at uh, FreightWaves. And uh, on today's show, I'm going to be giving a rundown of the news this week. It's been a busy week, so we're not going to get to everything. There's more on uh, the website, of course, on our newsletters and, and uh, everything, but I'll go through some of the latest developments um, out at the ports of LA Long Beach and the same Pedro Bay. I think that's on uh, the top of a lot of people's uh, minds in the world of transportation logistics. So I'll give a little bit of a rundown of what's happening you know, out there and, and the impact that's having. And then uh, we'll we'll go into a topic of the week, which is vertical farming. Uh, it's, it's something that I'm you know trying to educate myself about because I think it really has potential to be uh, very disruptive in uh, the world of, of, of CPG industry and, and transportation space in, in general. So we're going to bring on Ryan Anderson, who's the Senior Director of Supply Chain Logistics at Plenty, which is one of the big indoor uh, vertical farming companies. So we're going to learn more about Plenty. We're going to learn more about uh, indoor uh, vertical indoor farming. So um, hope you can, uh, can uh, stick around for that. Uh, but first, I'll give a little bit of a rundown of the news. And uh, you know, this week, um, you know, sort of uh, ever mindful of what's happening out at the ports of uh, L.A. and Long Beach and San Pedro Bay. You've seen probably you've seen all the pictures. Uh, as it stands today, there's about 70 container ships at anchor in the San Pedro Bay. I think it's been as high as about 80. Um, but then what we're seeing is this is really sort of gravitating towards, you know, other parts of the country as well. It's not a, a, an issue that's unique to L.A., although maybe that's the, the worst. Savannah has about 30 uh, you know, container ships at anchor. Port, Port of New York, New Jersey has about five. So it's certainly becoming more um, you know, widespread. And then we have a couple of really good articles this week describing sort of some of the actions that uh, you know, various parties are taking you know, try, to try to alleviate you know, some of that congestion. Um, there's an article up on FreightWaves.com uh, written by Eric Kulish, who uh, follows a number of things, including Air Cargo. But you know, this article was on... Uh, port of LA Long Beach and, and LA ports of LA and Long Beach and what they're doing to um, you know, alleviate congestion and one of the things they're doing is imposing uh, fees on the ocean carriers of hundred dollars per day if for any uh, containers that uh, have been sitting at the at the port for longer than nine days in increments of of hundred dollars you know per day for every day that it sta- stays past uh, the nine days and that's for uh, containers that are meant to move via truckload. Uh, for those that are meant to move via rail, it's the same penalty, except it's getting assessed after uh, day three. So starting on day three, $100, $100 a day you know, penalty uh, you know, each day. Um, and I guess the ocean carriers have already started, sort of, as, as soon as they realized that, started calling the, the customers, which could be the shippers. It could be um, uh, an importer, which is, a, is an NVO, um, and, and telling them, okay, we're going to you know, pass these right along to you. With those with those surcharges, so um, you know we're sort of uh, ports are using using penalties there. Uh, another article, sort of on a related topic, um, you know, is written by Joanna Marsh, and this one is, is maybe using positive you know, reinforcement. Uh, this is the, the railroads, uh, Union Pacific and Burlington Northern Santa Fe, the, the two Class One um, you know Western U.S. railroads uh, involved in this pilot program where they're giving a sixty dollar you know, refund to any ocean carrier customers that in-gate containers uh, on Saturdays or Sundays at the intermodal container transfer facility in, in Long Beach. I think the idea there is to smooth out 
the container ingating process uh, throughout the week by doing more on, on, on the weekend. So um, some interesting comments, from, um, you know, there. Uh, so I encourage you to go check those articles out. Um, seems like we have uh, more on, uh, you know, that topic um, than you can really, uh, you know, digest. Um, and then I also think there were several interesting comments this week. I did have a chance to listen to a few of the analyst calls. I'm fortunate to not have to write those, um, you know, analyst reports up uh, when every company re- reports like I like I used to. And, and some of the interesting companies came out from the the either the Class One railroads or the domestic uh, intermodal marketing companies. So, you know, Schneider and Hub Group, which are both domestic truckload-based intermodal, uh, you know, marketing companies, did note that they saw an improvement in rail fluidity um, when they reported earnings this week. So I think that was, uh, you know, fairly encouraging. I mean, the intermodal, you know, congestion has been pretty rampant in, uh, you know, recent months. And it was something that we, um, you know, suspected as much here at FreightWaves looking at our data in uh, Sonar uh, because we've seen about an 8% increase in uh, domestic intermodal volume from August to September um, to October. So, you know, sort of surmised that that was a result of, Reduction in uh, congestion, um, and uh, another interesting things that uh, you know Hub Group said is that they thought uh, that actually the international uh, uh, container congestion is actually helping domestic a little bit because it basically alleviates, um, you know, basically you know, makes more uh, space available on uh, on the train, and they were not terribly impressed with um, you know administration's plan or others' plans to go to make the the ports. Uh, in LA and Long Beach, uh, 24-7 operation um, said that really it's a function of lack of warehousing space, which there's no empty warehousing space. And, and that's really the big you know, driver of the congestion. And it's hard to get all parties on board, um, you know, in a 24-7 you know, type nature. It's hard enough to find, you know, drivers or in drainage capacity right now, um, you know, much less uh, in, in the middle of the night. So um, it does seem like the, the congestion on the intermodal side, international side um, of intermodal is going to be with us uh, for some time, but at least on the domestic side, it does seem like there's some evidence that things are uh, improving. So with that as just a little bit of um, a rundown of what's happening on the West Coast, everyone's favorite place to um, you know, look for uh, supply chain challenges uh, these days. I'd like to bring on our guest, um, which is Ryan uh, Anderson. Ryan is the Senior Director of Supply Chain and Logistics at Plenty. Plenty is an indoor vertical farming uh, company. Uh, so, Ryan, thank you for joining me. Pardon me. Absolutely. Glad you could make it. And um, I guess the way I'd like this to start is, you know, for those who aren't uh, familiar with vertical farming, I mean, I think it's it's, it's a trend in food that, is really interesting and, and, and really has the potential to be, you know, very you know, dis- disruptive. Um, you know, I think uh, Whole Foods just put out an article that said, well, these are the trends to watch in the upcoming years. And, and that was the very first thing. So why don't, you, for, for, why don't you give a little bit of background for people who aren't familiar with it, sort of what's vertical farming and, um, you know, tell us a little bit about Plenty as well. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, vertical farming, if you can imagine a, a field uh, with produce, and if you flip that, uh, on its side, so it was vertical. Um, vertical farming is essentially adding planes uh, and, and uh, planes of crops going up, um, and that can be done in a few different forms. Uh, plenty specifically, you know, we're an indoor vertical farming company. Um, you know, our focus is on uh, growing produce in a sustainable way, um, using less water and less land than traditional agriculture. Uh, all while doing that with uh, no pesticides, which is fantastic, and no GMOs. Um, so that's what we're 
you know, we're, we're really focused on. And, um, you know, the, the, the huge benefit is, uh, as you can imagine, growing produce at its peak season year round and, and close to the consumer. So. Great. That's, that's exciting stuff. I mean, I guess, you know, what, what has caused this to, you know, sort of, um, you know, be, come to the forefront, you know, here recently, I mean, I guess there's been, you know, improvements in LED technology, you know, LED uh, costs have come down. I mean, is, is that sort of the main thing? And, and is there other things that are sort of unique about technology that's advanced or any you know, technology that, that you have that's, that's unique? Yeah. Um, you know, I think vertical indoor farming has certainly been something that folks have wanted to do for a long time, but I think until recently it's been challenging, uh, to get, make the economics work. Um, and a few things have happened the last uh, couple of years to really, uh, uh, jump, jump, jumpstart this. Uh, one is, uh, a big, a big cost uh, of running an indoor farm is, is energy and, um, and lights are a heavy consumer of energy. So, uh, LED lights, the advent of LED lights, the, the, the cost curve of LED lights has allowed us to really bring down the, the cost of the energy. And so that's one big advancement. Uh, another is, is labor and, and automation. So being able to move things from manual labor to slightly more automated fashion has also helped that, that cost curve as well. So you know, that's why you see uh, you know, a few companies kind of trying to jump into this space and, and uh, kind of capture... Uh, we're, we're at a tipping point right now and, and try to capture uh, uh, that, that market. And certainly uh, plenty is at the forefront of that. So and, and maybe yeah, just to yeah, add, um, you know, how, how plenty is, is, is different, what, what makes us unique. Um, there's a couple of things. I think th- three main things come to mind. Uh, one is plenty uses these proprietary growing towers uh, where we can grow a wide variety of crops. Um, and so they're very interchangeable in that sense. And uh, so that's one. Uh, two, we have, instead of using kind of an off-the-shelf software to, to process and control the farm, uh, we've built and developed that all internally ourselves. So we have our proprietary, we call it FarmOS, <laughs> uh, aptly named, uh, that does all that internally. And the amount of data and the customization that we can do to that is, is, is phenomenal. And then the third thing is, you know, uh, we have really focused on some of the key elements of the farm, the te- 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 technology pieces. And you mentioned one already, already which was LED lights. Plenty uh, designs those in-house, as well as sensors, et cetera. Um, and w- by doing that, we've been really able to optimize uh, some of the energy pieces, as well as the, the light spectrums that we want for our specific plants. And so that, that, that's given us a huge advantage. Great. Yeah. It sounds like, um, there's really some barriers to entry there and understanding, you know, all the, the formulas for, for, for lights and, and sensors and, and all of those things. Um, we wanted to touch on something that you just mentioned. You said that you, you're, um, one of the differentiators is you can grow a wide variety of crops. Um, so I, I sort of picked up on that because, you know, just talked to a vertical farming company last week, who's really sort of focused on leafy greens um, so why don't you talk about a l- little bit about what the, the crops that you grow and maybe the partnership with Driscoll, which does strawberries, I believe. I um, thought that was was interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, um, you know, we're first focused on leafy greens. It's kind of the, 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 the lower hanging fruit, so to speak. Um, and so that's where we've started. And, um, and that's, you know, we're selling today uh, through Albertsons, uh, through their Safeway brand, as well as Whole Foods. And we'll continue to do that. And, and then uh, beyond the leafy greens, there's kind of a, a path of 
uh, next crops that, uh, that that we're shooting shooting for. Um, the 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 big one that we're excited about is strawberries, and we've, as you said, we've announced a partnership with Driscolls, and um, you know we'll, we'll continue to release more of that in the future. But uh, essentially, we'll be growing strawberries uh, in a partnership with them at some point, some point in the near future here. And you know, one of the dreams uh, that we've always had at Plenty is uh, being able to hit, to uh, taste a summer strawberry uh, on the in the uh, you know New York in the middle of the winter. Um, and that's our that, that, that's a dream of ours that uh, uh, will be come reality before too long. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, uh, look forward to that. Um, so, so as, as the supply chain director, I mean, what are some of the unique challenges that you have in, in, the, in the supply chains? And has anything um, you know, become more difficult here in the last year just because there's been so many supply chain you know, constraints seemingly all over? Yeah, how much time do you have? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, all, all, all the things that you uh, mentioned earlier are, are, are top of mind right now. You know, um, shortage of drivers, uh, freight is just surging, going through the cost of freight is surging. Um, uh, getting, you know, materials and equipment in from, from overseas uh, is, is really challenging right now. Um, so, you know, we're experiencing all those same things. Um, but I think, you know, one advantage... Uh, that plenty has as we do move forward is that we're locating these farms close to our our, our consumers, close to our retail partners, and so uh, instead of trucking, you know, produce from Central California to the East Coast, you know, uh, the, the goal is to deliver it to a regional, uh, have these farms regionally based, and so you're not trucking three thousand miles away. Um, so that will help a lot, um, and the, the strain on the supply chain. Uh, and then that, that's, that's the future of where we're going. Um, yeah, uh, there's lots of challenges to speak of, but, um, uh, uh, I think, I think that, 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 that one solves, uh, will we'll solve in the future for us. So. Yeah, that's exactly one of the reasons why I think this, you know, vertical farming could be so, um, you know, so disruptive to trucking and refrigerated trucking because I mean, the consumption centers are so far away from where a lot of the produce is, is, is grown. You think about about almost half the population lives in the Eastern time zone, a long way from where most of this stuff is, is grown. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you also about, you know, sort of the regulatory front. I mean, I guess there's a, there's a bigger push right now for, you know, climate change action and, and, and those type of things. Um, you know, how do you see that impacting uh, the food supply chains? I, I definitely think it's a uh, one. I think those efforts highlight the importance, um, and it, it will help us in a big way. Um, you know, it'll help uh, provide investment for electric vehicle charging, uh, electric fleets, um, more renewable energy. Um, as I said before, you know, um, we, we use a, we, we, the cost of energy is expensive, and uh, you know, we would love to see that come down and also be 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 sustainable. So I think. Uh, uh, that all those efforts will help us indirectly um, uh, be a more sustainable company uh, overall. Mm-hmm. Great. What, what's the um, investment, um, you know, climate like? I mean, is there lots of of interest from you know venture capital firms, um, you know, backing you know, companies of, of of this nature? How have you found that? Yes, I mean, there's a there's a there's a ton of interest, as you said. This was on the top of Whole Foods trends, and uh, and there's a lot of attention in the, in the space, um, and Plenty is no different in that sense. Um, and uh, you know, I think industry does need that that uh, investment in order to 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 grow and build quickly, and 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 um, 
uh, and we're excited about uh, all the interest. So, Great. Uh, what other uh, kinds of technologies or, or solutions are you guys in, in investing in? And, and maybe can you talk a little bit about um, just how labor intensive it is. I know you said that it's it's a lot. It's less labor intensive than traditional farming, um, but it, can you sort of sort of quantify that or help, or help us sort of understand that? Yeah, I don't have specific stats to share with you uh, right now, but what I will say is that um, you know traditional farming is is very labor intensive, um, and we're able to reduce uh, our labor force to a fraction of what the field would be, the field equivalent. Um, you know, we use robotics, we use, um, a lot of motors and actuators to move our towers and produce around and, and mechanically harvest it. Um, and then the, the big advantage too, along with all this is we are able to collect data. And, uh, I, I think that is a, a really, um, uh, a, a big piece of what indoor farming is able to capture is all the data to make decisions. Uh, part of our, our intelligent farm system is it captures all that data and then we can use that data to make, make real-life decisions and, and base our decisions off of data versus hunches. Uh, and that's been extremely valuable and, and optimizing and, 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 um, and reducing, uh, reducing waste. So, Okay, so the, the, the data is important because it's is it important because you're testing various, you know, how much light is needed for certain crops and then making adjustments and then seeing, you know, what the, the yield is with, under, under different... Uh, under different formulas, is is that what you mean by that? Yeah, um, a variety of things, but that but that that that, that is certainly one. So um, you know, every crop has a recipe that that we're able to dial in uh, the nutrient water, the light, uh, all of those things are 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 part of the recipe that that we have. And so, being able to collect our yield data and then uh, recalibrate those uh, conditions is super key to to increasing our yield. And, and one one thing that we're really proud of at Plenty is that we have uh, our, our yield is extremely great, is extremely good, and and we continue to 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 raise the bar on 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 our yield for for, for grow plant. Makes sense. Um, I wanted to ask you. I mean, in, in my sort of preliminary research on on uh, vertical farming, I noticed a lot of the companies in vertical farming were based in Israel. Is there any good reason for that other than is it just a difficult place to, to grow, you know, certain crops or, um, you know, any thoughts there? Um, I don't have a specific answer to that on why there's a cluster there. Um, you know, I, I think that if you look at regions of interest, the Middle East is certainly um, uh, really big on doing indoor farming. You know, they're they're, they're a perfect candidate for, for indoor farms. Um, they... They're they're pretty far from the from the fertile areas where produce is grown. Um, they have actually generally low energy costs and and, and very little access to fresh water. So uh, the Middle East area is is kind of right for indoor farming. So that would be my guess, but I don't have uh, I don't have specifics to, to to know why Israel specifically as a country is, unless maybe they're making some investments in that space. Oh, that's that probably answers it actually. I mean, I, I think that's that sort of makes it a good candidate. All all, all three of those things that. Uh, that you mentioned, um, you know, any thoughts on sort of the cost curve going forward for some of the, some of the enablers of, of this technology, you know, LED lights or, or any of the other sort of big, big inputs? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, uh, LEDs can come down year up year and something that excites us. Uh, and, 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 
and, and it is actually a big advantage for us too because we you know uh, like I said we design our own lights so we can continue iterating on on incorporating the latest greatest LED uh, lighting, uh, which in turn uh, uses less energy, which in turn uh, makes the makes the cost curve better. Um, so so that that is one big driver. Um, energy is uh, over, overall is a big one. So whatever we can do to reduce energy uh, is huge. Um, you know one one underestimated thing is the amount of HVAC and uh, to 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 uh, heat and cool and 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 dehumidify the environment, and so continuing to optimize that is a big thing as well. Um, and then um, uh, I would say those are, those are big 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 drivers for us right now. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And then, do you have any thoughts on is the cost for you know indoor farming? Um, you know, is it? Uh, is, is it maybe less volatile than traditional farming? Because I mean, think of electricity as being um, sort of a, an input that's less volatile than certainly diesel fuel. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with sort of the labor situation going going forward. Um, you know, it might just be the start of a, you know, multi-decade, you know, labor, you know, shortage, or it could reverse itself, you know, next year. We don't really, we don't really know, but uh, any thoughts on um it, whether the the cost um, you know uh, profile is is less volatile than traditional farming? Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think it is um, more stable uh, for sure. And another thing that I didn't mention earlier, which is you know a big a big part of uh, the industry that is ripe for optimization, is just just balancing supply and demand. And one of the things that's great about uh, indoor vertical farming is that uh, you have a you have a very stable um, uh, production output and that can be matched really well at the at the retail level so you know we we've seen um, time and time again where there's outbreaks of e coli or salmonella etc uh, this ha- that happened with arugula earlier this year and then they had to ship supply to another place and in fact stores were out for i think 5 weeks without arugula for a period of time you know those kinds of things are are much less reduced uh, with with vertical farming, and so um, you're able to one keep store stock, but also you're 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 reducing the the, the waste there as well, uh, with with being able to match supply and demand much 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 uh, better. Yeah, that seems really helpful. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you just you know your your products. I guess um, you know unlike some some companies, your products are already sort of on, on shelves, and you describe them on the site as as premium but affordable. Will do you see? Do you think they'll always be premium but affordable, or do you think that you know at some point the costs of certain indoor Berkeley farmed products you know get to be you know lower than you know the traditionally farmed products, and that can sort of that can sort of flip? Um, you know, sort of any any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I think feasibly one day that 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 that, that could be the case. Um, you know, we're certainly continuing to uh, work on on providing the best value for our customers and and reducing costs and. And as as affordable as we can make our products, you know that's something that we're we're certainly focused on. Um, you know, uh, it w- you know one interesting fact is that uh, the amount of arable land and around the world just continues to decrease. And as that happens, I imagine traditional agriculture will become more expensive, and vertical farming will come will come down. And you know, in the U.S. alone, um, every minute we're losing three acres of farmland to to development, and um, and so the need for indoor farming is just is going to go up. So I, I, I see, I see to your point earlier. I see, um, at some point there probably will equilibrium where the cost of traditional farming actually goes up, and the cost of vertical farming comes down, and then the, the gap will continue to, to, to close. There. 
Yeah, great. That would be great for for consumers. Um, just have a couple of minutes yes. left. Um, just wanted to ask you, um, you know, why Compton, California, as a place where you opened up a big facility or in the process of opening up a big facility? And um, if you can answer that in a few seconds, uh, where can folks uh, reach you um, if they want to learn more? Yeah, absolutely. So um, LA was a, a, the greater Los Angeles was a market that we really uh, wanted to focus in on. And after an exhaustive search and um, really wanting to find the right community, uh, Compton lined up really, really well um, and, and ticked a lot of the boxes. And we're really happy to be in Compton. We have a great uh, community connection there. And we'll be op opening up our, our, our Compton farm um, uh, later next year. Um, and if folks want to learn more about Plenty, feel free to go to our website at www.plenty.ag. And um, you can purchase our products in stores within the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area today at Albertsons and Whole Foods. And in LA, we will also be in uh, the, the, those, those stores as well uh, as we expand that market. That's great. That's exciting stuff. Uh, thanks so much for, for joining me. And if anyone needs to, if anyone needs to reach out to me, uh, feel free to email me at mbowdendistal at freightwaves.com or feel free to sign up for my CPG Focus newsletter at www.freightwaves.com forward slash the stock out. I also write for the Freightwaves Sonar blog. If you just type in uh, Freightwaves Sonar blog into Google, you'll see these uh, research reports that report um, we do every every week. So, um, you know, with that, um, we're about out of time. I wish everyone a great uh, weekend and happy Halloween.